You know, some of the things that I've heard were that people who are served by coordinated specialty care feel like they're more than just another patient. They feel more valued as as a human being with with strengths and with with assets and 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 competencies. They're not just another number being processed through a, a mental health system. Hi, this is Ike Evans of the Hogg Foundation for Mental Health, and you're listening to Into the Fold, Issues in Mental Health. The Hogg Foundation is a strategic grant maker based at the University of Texas at Austin. To learn more, visit us at hogg.utexas.edu. The 86th uh, Texas Legislative Session is now in full swing, and the Hogg Foundation is focusing on a number of policy priorities to provide context for policymakers as they consider ways to strengthen mental health and substance use services and supports for Texans. One of our priority issues, first episode psychosis, is tied to the foundation's goal to shift the orientation of our mental health system from one that emphasizes treatment of illness to one that promotes early intervention and prevention. In other words, we're moving upstream to address root causes and promote conditions that support mental health. For people who experience their first episode of psychosis, which typically happens in adolescence or early adulthood, the right kind of early intervention can mean the difference between positive outcomes uh, and years of crisis and expensive treatment. To get a sense of how stark the alternatives are, here's Dr. Neely Myers of Southern Methodist University uh, in a clip from a 2016 episode on the subject. Things like social isolation from being stigmatized, losing one's job, becoming disconnected from school, uh, the potentially toxic effects of long-term antipsychotic use and the side effects that they cause, um, self-medicating for relief, which we know can really complicate outcomes. And of course, you know, the experience of depression and anxiety that can come up along with having this this stress reaction that, that is so, uh, so alienating for people. So it's more of a prevention. We're, we're trying to stop these negative downstream consequences of poor care up front with uh, strong and appropriate early intervention. Now there's an exciting opportunity in front of the legislature. Coordinated Specialty Care, or CSC, is an evidence-based program that provides a team-based approach for treatment of first-episode psychosis. It provides a variety of person-centered services and supports, and Texas now has an opportunity to expand the program. Here to help us understand what's at stake for Texans on the issue of first episode psychosis and how CSC is a potential game changer are two returning guests, Colleen Horton, Policy Director for the Hogg Foundation for Mental Health, and Greg Honch, Public Policy Director for National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI, Texas. Colleen and Greg, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, Colleen, the foundation's mission is to transform how communities promote mental health in everyday life. For us, this entails a shift from a focus on individual mental illness to how community conditions can support mental health and well-being. So how does this new focus impact our approach when it comes to first episode psychosis? Thank you, Ike. And and first, I want to say thanks for uh, helping us address and get building the awareness around this issue. It is an important one that will be discussed frequently, hopefully, during the legislative session. But I think this meshes well with our new community focus. The whole purpose 
of expanding coordinated specialty care sites is to get the services into the communities where they're needed. Uh, we know that episodes of early psychosis typically occur in the teen years or early 20s. Um, providing coordinated specialty care, which, as you said, is the term we use when referring to a comprehensive set of services and supports for people experiencing um, early psychosis. But we know it is a huge factor in minimizing the long-term impact on both the individual, the family, as well as the community. So offering coordinated specialty care offers increased opportunity for recovery and focuses community resources where they can most typically be um, most effective. We know that these young people live and work and go to school, they play and they pray in their communities. Um, so if we can build awareness, if we can reduce the stigma and make it easier for individuals to get comprehensive services, everyone benefits, both the individual, their families, and the communities. So what is our history of engagement on this issue, and, and how long has it been on our radar? Well, pr prior to being implemented in Texas, the treatment methodology that we're talking about was studied extensively at the federal level through what is um, been called the RAISE study. Texas currently receives funding um, from the federal government for coordinated specialty care through the Community Mental Health Block Grant. Um, currently, states are required to spend 10% of their block grant dollars on programs and services that are aimed at addressing early psychosis. In our state, um, the Health and Human Service Commission started with two sites, and that number has grown to 10 sites and 12 teams. The sites are located at our local mental health authorities throughout the state. Each of the programs is funded based on the cost to run their individual teams, so there's not an absolute um, flat rate that each um, team gets, but it's based on the actual cost of the services they're providing. And the annual costs range from uh, about $250,000 to $425,000, according to HHSC. As I said, these costs are currently funded through the block grant dollars, so it's all federal funding. So to date, um, state general revenue has not been used um, to fund these programs. In 2018, approximately 519 individuals have been served by these programs. During the past year, HHSC has also received some what's referred to as enhanced block grant funding, and they plan to use $3.75 million of the dollars they're getting in these, through this enhanced funding to fund 11 new programs in 2019 and 2020. So that's where we are now, and I'll talk a little bit later in the podcast about what's currently on the policy agenda that might help us to um, even increase the number of sites across the state. Okay, and so and just and just so just to be clear, the state has yet to kick in uh, any of its any of its own general funding for this. Yeah, you know, I always hate to make absolute statements, but for the most part, these. Um, 
you know, some of the local mental health authorities may be taking some of their dollars and contributing different services, and sometimes the costs can be reimbursed through Medicaid, which is federal and state dollars, but the sites themselves and the funding currently comes from the federal state mental health block grant dollars. There has been no general revenue appropriation for, for these services in the past. Greg. No two stories of psychosis are exactly alike, but could you give our listeners a sense of the status quo that we're trying to change? What is a common trajectory for people with lived experience of first episode psychosis? Yeah, so it's often a young person experiencing a first episode of psychosis. It usually emerges between the ages of 15 and 30. It can be outside of that range, but for the most part, it's a, it's a person in the early phases of their lifetime. And one of the hallmarks of early psychosis, as far as symptoms go, is withdrawal from family and social relationships. So we often will see people isolating as they start to experience uh, symptoms of, of early psychosis. Following that, um, there tend to often be um, issues with school performance, like a drop in grades or job performance. Um, people have been uh, seen to have trouble thinking clearly or focusing or concentrating. Um, they're tend to be sometimes um, observations of suspiciousness um, on the on the part of the person who's experiencing symptoms of early psychosis or uneasiness around other people. Um, often there's a decline in self-care or uh, personal hygiene. Um, people uh, will sometimes start to experience strong and inappropriate emotions or they have a sensation of not really having any feelings at all. Um, sort of feeling empty. And what's important to remember, and, and what often gets mischaracterized about psychosis, is that it doesn't just go from everything is normal to one day, all of a sudden, there are full-blown hallucinations and delusions. Um, and it, we often, you know, historically, it's been characterized as a person having a sudden psychotic break. And that terminology gets used a lot. But more often than not, it, the, the symptoms start to emerge along a continuum where they're a little less severe and a little more subtle uh, at first. And then eventually, if there's not an appropriate intervention, um, it does uh, emerge and, and, and become something that's more along the lines of you know full-blown psychosis involving uh, hallucinations or delusions. And at, at the point where those symptoms emerge, there often tends to be um, some really concerning things that happen. A friend of mine, Carlos Lorari, who's a, a, a NAMI, NAMI board of directors member, is a relatively young guy. Um, when he was in college, he started to experience psychosis. And um, some of those early war warning signs happened where he was having trouble in school, he's having trouble completing his assignments, and eventually it started to get worse, and he'd stay up all night talking to himself, he had trouble concentrating, um, his behavior worsened through um, isolation, he stopped showering, he started eating out of trash cans, picking up cigarettes off the floor, and these types of things often will lead to a person leaving school, a person leaving their job, um, sometimes a person becoming homeless or becoming involved in the criminal justice system. Right. Um, and, um, you know, one of the challenges is that we tend to divide mental health conditions into just two buckets. 
serious and not serious. And it seems that people have a tendency to go from one extreme to the other uh, for, for things like depression and anxiety uh, that aren't considered serious, that, that no kind of intervention is needed. And then at the opposite extreme, for serious mental illness, at which point there's really nothing that can be done. And so you go from one extreme of complacency to the other of a kind of fatalism. What exactly is coordinated specialty care, and how is it different from, from conventional treatment? So coordinated specialty care is recovery-oriented. Um, it's a treatment program specifically for uh, people with a first episode of psychosis. Um, one of the, the hallmarks of it is that it promotes shared decision-making. It's not the treatment provider or treatment team telling a person what they should engage in, what services they should be a part of in order to get better. It's more along the lines of what are your goals? Where would you like to go in your recovery? And how can we as a treatment provider and a treatment team facilitate that? Another element that while the NIMH research that Colleen mentioned, you know, didn't actually, you know, didn't find this to be a core element that is proven to be effective, what has been shown, you know, through a lot of on the ground implementation of coordinated specialty care is that peer support is a really important piece too that is often very helpful for people. So I would say, you know, anecdotally, it, it's safe to say it's a best practice that peer support be a, a component of coordinated specialty care. And what kind of makes coordinated specialty care something that is somewhat different, distinctly different than conventional treatment are, you know, one, conventional treatment is often characterized by a delay of treatment. Um, there, one, one of the findings from Ray's was that there's an average delay in the United States of 74 weeks before a person experiencing early psychosis receive en receives any care whatsoever. So the conventional treatment is we don't really do much of anything for quite a while. Um, but once we, you know, in, in the conventional uh, trajectory of treatment, once we finally do something, uh, the the treatment tends to be not nearly as robust as coordinated specialty care. It generally in, it involves pharmacological management, medication, um, and psychosocial rehabilitative services. Uh, so it's not nearly as recovery-oriented as something like coordinated specialty care. Um, also, there's an emphasis on improving functioning in the real world, uh, sometimes developing skills in self-advocacy, leveraging natural supports but what we look when we see psychosocial rehab you know actually taking place in the community it looks a lot different than coordinated specialty care it's not as nearly as team based it's not nearly as recovery oriented and there's much less of an emphasis on um, shared decision making we uh, are fond of well more than fond it's kind of, we kind of consider it imperative to get across to our audiences that recovery uh, is always possible. But I think we can admit that there are certain scenarios um, in which it might be made either more difficult or easier, um, depending on uh, depending on what it is that people do. Um, and and one thing that struck me about that that seventy four weeks uh, that that number that you mentioned is that it seems that in a lot of cases, unfortunately, and maybe tragically, that we may have already missed kind of our first best opportunity to really level set goals and expectations with with the person who's who's experiencing a psychotic episode. Mm -hmm. 
And at that point, you're probably already kind of in in recuperative mode uh, and trying to piece back together what I'm sure a lot of people have wished that that they that they had the opportunity to address at at the earliest opportunity. I would think. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, it not intervening effectively in those 74 weeks um, does miss our opportunity to to facilitate recovery and and it, in certain cases um, there is permanent damage that is done as a result of not intervening early and th- there are changes that take place in the in the brain over those 74 weeks that can be difficult uh, if not impossible to reverse yeah I mean it seems to me that people do what they have the tools to do mm-hmm. we certainly have the tools to put people in jail Um I don't. Not so much the tools for intervening when someone is on the way towards something terrible, um, and it seems that you know coordinated specialty care, it, it can be you know a milestone on the way towards us having that. Ike, I think it's important to remember that you know mental health, mental illness, health, um, mental wellness, is is no different than a lot of our physical illnesses. Right. You know, if if we let certain physical illnesses, whether it's diabetes, heart condition, cancer, if we let it go for a long time, it's harder and harder to help people, you know, gain a full recovery. And mental health conditions, especially early psychosis, is no different. So the investment that we make in making sure those services are available, you know, can really change the trajectory of people's lives. Uh, what does the research say about the effectiveness of CSC, and and what more are people in the field, you know, trying to understand about it? So um, there, there's been a great deal of research over the years about different programs that are intended to address early psychosis, and the U.S. sort of came on board pretty late in doing this research. Um, but it, for about 10 years or so, the U.S. has done a great deal of research about how specifically coordinated specialty care works and what impacts it has. And a lot of this research has been done out of uh, funding through the National Institute of Mental Health. Um, and the, the research has come in waves, but I'd say two of the, the really key findings, um, specifically from the RAISE study, is just one in general RAISE is effective at treating early psychosis. And it's effective in in certain ways. Like one of those ways is people experience a greater improvement in their symptoms when they get coordinated specialty care as opposed to when they just get conventional treatment. So symptoms are better alleviated. Um, Interpersonal relationships tend to improve through coordinated specialty care. Um, there's a higher quality of life oftentimes as a result of receiving these services. Um, People tend to be more involved in work or school as opposed to people who just receive conventional traditional care. Um, So there's a strong finding that, you know, people tend to uh, engage in their uh, education and and stay in school, and they tend to have a a longer-term success rate in employment opportunities after they receive coordinated specialty care. One of the the other key findings is not only simply that coordinated specialty care is effective, it's effective when you look at these different metrics, but also that those who receive coordinated specialty care sooner tend to have better outcomes. So the shorter the duration in untreated psychosis, 
the better the outcomes will be. Now, if a person receives coordinate specialty care and there's a, a significant delay in them receiving coordinate specialty care, there's often still good outcomes that are achieved, but there are better outcomes by providing that care earlier. And and pretty recently, you know, after the, the raise um, findings were released in 2014, the research has continued to evolve and basically affirm what the original findings were. And, and, and quite recently, um, NIMH released a meta-analysis of different clinical research studies around specifically coordinated specialty care. And um, the, the findings were you know, generally um, indicating that young people receiving early intervention services are less likely to leave treatment, and that's probably because they feel more engaged and more empowered than just conventional care. And they're also less likely to have a psychiatric hospitalization over the course of treatment. And that's a very important finding that wasn't necessarily um, found in, in, in the original round of research through race. So if we can show you know, that actually psychiatric hospitalizations are reduced, that may speak to some existing priorities of the state um, that you know, CSC can actually help to address. Um, people are less likely to relapse. They're more likely to achieve symptomatic remission if they receive coordinated specialty care, um, more likely to be in school, more likely to be employed, affirming some of the earlier findings. Yeah, and so what I keep hearing is that um, through a team-based approach that engages the person's agency uh, at the earliest opportunity... Uh, you stave off something that's going to be a lot more complicated and expensive down the road. Yeah. Well said. So Colleen mentioned that uh, that up to this point, it, it has all been uh, federal block grants. But I was hoping, Greg, that you could give a little bit more information about just you know how much of a foothold CSC has here in Texas, um, and. Um, and where we are in the process of scaling up mm -hmm. and, and what's, what the goal is. Yeah. Um, so a, a, as Colleen mentioned, the federal funding has resulted in um, CSC teams being established in Texas. Um, and and th these are still relatively new teams. The original teams were in Dallas and Houston. Um, and following the implementation of those two original teams, the sites in Dallas and Houston have both um, established a, an additional team. So they both now have two teams. And, and you know, the, the need for these services in a place like Dallas or Houston is far beyond what simply one team can provide, which these teams tend to serve roughly 30 people each. Um, there's far more need in, in Dallas and Houston than just 30 people at any given time. Um, so th th those two, you know, examples kind of stand out. But um, as a result of um, the federal government increasing its required set-aside in funding for CSC, um, teams have been established in originally eight additional places so those include the city of Austin, where we are, um, the north of Austin, like kind of Williamson County. Um, there's a team in, in uh, northeast Texas, um, El Paso, the Panhandle. Um, there's a team in, down in south Texas at Tropical Behavioral Health, Tarrant County, and San Antonio. 
Um, so, you know, that was one, the, the really, at, up to this date, the most significant expansion of coordinated specialty care in Texas to where for, for a period of time, Texas had 10 program sites and 12 different teams because of the, there being two teams in Houston and Dallas. Um, so, you know, that kind of status quo, while it's incredible that this resource is now available in these places and, and just a few years ago, it hadn't been available at all. Um, that status quo only addresses about 10% of the estimated capacity need in the state, serving about 360 people at any given time. We know there are about 3,000 new cases of psychosis every year. Um, and because a CSC team, a CSC program takes about two years to complete, at any given time, there's a need for about 6,000 6, slots. At 3,000 new cases, we need 6,000 slots. Um, and so we're way short on capacity. Now, as Colleen mentioned, um, through new federal block grant dollars, the state is um, expanding to an additional, I believe, Colleen, you said 11 sites right around there, I, th I think it's on my count. So we're, um, you know, that expands to roughly two-thirds approximately of the um, local mental health authorities in the state. So, you know, if you just base it on how many local mental health authorities have coordinated specialty care teams, we're not all the way there. Um, and I think that alone, you know, suggests that there's an opportunity um, for the state to invest. We would like for every county in Texas to be served by a coordinated specialty care team. Greg, can you provide some real-life examples of how CSC has transformed lives? Uh, what does a successful intervention lead to? You know, some of the things that I've heard were that people who are served by coordinated specialty care feel like they're more than just another patient. They feel more valued as, as a human being with, with strengths and with, with assets and, and, and competencies. They're not just another number being processed through a, a mental health system. They also tend to feel very supported in their goals. And the goals, you know, can be in a variety of different areas, but they often involve like success in school or success in employment. And, you know, we've heard of stories of people who have been uh, provided mock job interviews. And then, you know, so they get that kind of experience of what it feels like to be in a job interview. And then they're actually driven to their in, in the real world job interview. So they feel very supportive in these things. Uh, they, they get help completing job applications. And in the, you know, traditional mental health system, these types of services are few and far in between. Um, and they often, the people who participate in these programs often get help in being comfortable in social situations. And, you know, as we've discussed, like one of the hallmarks of early psychosis, um, even before full-blown psychosis is there, is withdraw withdrawal from social situations, withdrawal from the family life. So they role play different scenarios about what could happen in, in their personal lives. It's, this teaches them how to tune out voices in their heads, um, which are, you know, are associated with those uh, hallucinations, which are often um, so prominent in psychosis. Um, they feel like they're given the opportunity to work on their goals 
and and then be successful in accomplishing those goals. Colleen, this last question is for you. I mentioned that CSC is now on the legislative agenda. Are there any recent or upcoming developments on the policy front uh, that people should be aware of? Yes, we are once again in exciting times. The Texas legislature is heading back to town um, starting January 8th. And I think um, the five-month legislative session will offer some real um, key opportunities for um, some key investments into really um, funding these services and, you know, helping us to really make them more available to people who need them. During the interim period between the sessions, organizations like the Hogg Foundation and NAMI, Texas Council, and um, the Meadows Institute have spent a lot of time educating agency staff and legislative staff and legislators on on the value of these services. And as a result of um, a lot of those conversations and, and, and the experience that's been shown from the existing sites, the Health and Human Service Commission has included in um, their legislative appropriation request a specific exceptional item request, so that's a request for new funding. It's exceptional item number 19, but it's a request to um, invest some general revenue funds, $8 million a year approximately for the two years of the biennium, into expanding these services. So it's the first time that the agency has really asked for general revenue um, from Texas to be spent on these services. So I think it's a clear indication that the agency has um, really come to believe that these services are important. Those discussions have also generated interest in, in, at the legislature. There's several um, members of the legislature who are, have already expressed support for funding some additional services so that they're available, as Greg was talking, um, statewide. So the opportunities are there. It is currently just a request in the Article 2 um, legislative appropriation request, which is the budget proposed by the agency. And there's a lot of competition for funding, as we all know, during the session. And and um, so it will take some advocacy efforts um, from the agency, from um, advocacy organizations, and from uh, individuals and families to really make this specific requests become a reality and and have it approved by the Texas legislature. So um, we are hopeful that additional funds will be appropriated so that these services can be made available to all 254 counties in Texas. Okay. So Colleen, just to circle back on on something that you said a minute ago, uh, mental health is not that much different from physical health. Uh, and even though first episode psychosis uh, does present a stiff challenge um, with the right services and supports, a person can be put uh, on a track toward, um, you know, the same level of, of personal fulfillment uh, and, uh, and just ability to, to thrive in life that, that we would all expect and hope for. Absolutely. Okay. Greg, Colleen, uh, thank you so much for taking the time, um, helping us understand uh, that mental health really is a continuum and that uh, at every point along that continuum, people ought to have access to, to services and supports that are 
geared toward uh, their situation and um, and also you know their 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 agency. And so we really appreciate leading us through this. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode. For a complete list of the Hogg Foundation's policy priorities, uh, check out our blog at hogg.utexas.edu. And in other exciting policy news, the fourth edition of our A Guide to Understanding Mental Health Systems and Services in Texas, our one-of-a-kind comprehensive mental health guide, is now available on our website at hogg.utexas.edu. We prepare a new edition of the guide with each new legislative session in order to help people navigate the complexity of the mental health system here in Texas. The intended audience includes legislators, legislative and state agency staff, mental health providers, consumers, and their families. It's a great easy reference, so be sure to check out the link to this resource in the episode description. And everyone, please leave a review of the podcast on iTunes. It only takes about five minutes. And um, subscribe to the podcast e-newsletter uh, on, on the news and resources page of our website. Uh, if you go to the podcast page, you can find a subscribe button. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. 